The Cinemedia Society presents Encounter by Patrick Ireland. Read by Ethan Ireland. At first, the flying saucer seemed as unconvincing as a politician under indictment. I thought it was just a kid's toy hanging there 30 feet above the backyard, rotating slowly. I could hear a metallic hissing noise coming from it, and my only thought was appreciation for the toy manufacturer having gotten the flotation bit down so nicely. No doubt there was a kid nearby with a radio control transmitter operating the thing. When the thin ray of purple light lanced out of a bubble on the underside of the craft, I smiled, thinking it was a great little effect. Death ray. The focal point of the beam was my kettle barbecue, standing serenely on the patio, ten feet from me. It resembled an alien spacecraft itself, resting on tripod landing gear. A moment later, the barbecue began to fluoresce with a slowly pulsing purple light, as if illuminated from within. I'm afraid my mouth fell right open as the tripod-mounted kettle began slowly to rise from the patio. An inch, two inches, half a foot. I heard a strangled sound from my throat as the barbecue, the frequency of its light pulses increasing, rose fully six feet above the patio. It then began rotating slowly about its vertical axis, the three legs pirouetting gracefully. I looked back into the sky and saw the saucer rotating at the same speed as the barbecue. It was fascinating, the two objects matching rotational velocity perfectly. The only sound was the metallic whisper emanating from the saucer. My mouth was as dry as dust, obviously from hanging open like the seat flap in a pair of long-handled drawers. I closed it with a click, gulping as I did so. My eyes were equally dry, the result of staring unblinking for some minute and a half or so. But I didn't dare blink. God, if I only had a camera. Better yet, a video recorder. The barbecue began to wobble its pristine rotation degenerating into an hourglass shape, as a decelerating top does before falling on its side. Wider and wider grew the arc at the top and bottom until it seemed to be in a nearly horizontal axis, and then, bang! The dome-shaped lid flew off, whizzing right over my shoulder, followed by the grill and a stream of gray and black ash which dusted me from head to toe belching up a sooty cloud that enveloped the whole patio. Nearly blinded by the ashes, my hands reflexively went to my face. I heard a resounding clang, which had to be the kettle falling back to the ground, followed by a rolling clatter as it spent its energy whirling wildly across the bricks. There was a sharp pain in my right shin as some part of it hammered into me. I rubbed my eyes frantically, Desperate to see what was happening, and the next instant, all was silent. The whirring noise of the saucer was gone. The barbecue had come to rest after its wild dash across the patio, 
and I could hear nothing but my own panic-stricken breathing. I forced my eyes open, ignoring the gritty feeling of the ashes, and struggled to locate the saucer. I could see nothing but the empty late afternoon sky, treetops gently swaying in the slight breeze. I gawked around me at the patio, noting the wild disarray of scattered barbecue parts, two overturned lawn chairs, and everything dusted with a fine peppering of ashes. I noticed a trembling weakness in my knees and staggered to the nearest lawn chair, uprighting it hurriedly and allowing myself to collapse into it. Just what the hell had happened? The whole thing had taken no more than a minute, two at the most. What I'd just witnessed was impossible, right? But I was surrounded by evidence that it had happened. My mind seized on a thought it could live with. It had been a freak gust of wind. Sure, that was it. Something like the dust devils you see careening crazily across a sandlot, sucking up papers and leaves and flinging them violently skyward before disappearing as suddenly as they'd materialized. Of course. What else could it have been? Feeling somewhat better now, I stood up and began to collect scattered pieces of barbecue. The two wheels had been flung off in different directions. The lid was at one end of the patio. The tripod and lower dome were separated, lying twenty feet apart. The grill was nowhere to be seen, evidently having cleared the fence after nearly decapitating me. It must have been one hell of a dust devil, I thought. My mind was keeping itself a discreet distance from the saucer in the sky, the strange metallic whirring noise, the pulsing purple light, and the remarkable joint ballet performed by the barbecue and the saucer. If these could be accounted for, it would best be done later when the sanity-preserving filter of rationalization had had more time to blur the finer details of the experience. For the time being, it would be best just to straighten up the mess this errant breath of wind had brought about. I located the wheels, replaced them on the tripod, carried the assembly over to the kettle bottom, and prepared to insert the tripod into the sockets on the underside of the dome. Except there seemed to be a problem with this. The legs, plain aluminum tubing, didn't want to fit in the sockets. Looking closer, I saw the reason. The sockets were no longer sockets. They were smooth, rounded protrusions, rather than the short lengths of steel tubing welded to the dome. I felt a chill ripple along my spine. Wait a minute now, my mind chided. You assembled this little jewel yourself, right out of the box, following the simple instructions. I set the tripod aside and knelt for a closer inspection. Sure enough, the three sockets, equidistant around the belly of the kettle bottom, had undergone a remarkable change. Each was no longer a two-inch length of tubing, but rather a glassy, smooth, blister-shaped knob. Trembling slightly, I turned the dome over and looked inside of it. I seemed to hear a ringing in my ears. The inner surface of the dome had been transformed from soot-cake black into a glossy, pale purple. Smooth as glass to my fingertips, it was also noticeably warm. I tilted the dome toward the setting sun, catching the light and looking closer. The substance didn't reflect the light as its glassy finish would suggest. 
Rather, the direct sunlight seemed to sink into it, causing it to appear as if lit from within. Gazing intently at this amazing substance, I began to feel an enveloping sense of calm. I knew that I was seeing and touching something entirely alien, but it seemed to have a very soothing effect on my nerves, which only moments before had been badly shattered. Closer scrutiny in the improved light revealed a delicate tracery of darker purple veining beneath the surface, not unlike marble or onyx. It was a truly beautiful effect. As the light waned gradually, the effect of depth subsided, and with it, the pervading sense of peace. I realized I had been rocking back and forth as I knelt, staring transfixed into the lovely concavity of what had shortly before been the bottom half of a kettle barbecue. The light had nearly gone now. I was struck by the incongruity of my actions. It was as if I'd been hypnotized for... How long? I struggled to my feet on fatigue-stiffened knees and looked at my wristwatch. It was a moment before I realized that it had stopped. The sweep second-hand immobile at 18 seconds past 4.45. It had been, I was sure, about that time when I had stepped out onto the patio and seen the toy saucer in the sky. I felt suddenly confused, and at the fringes of my confusion, panic was stirring. I dropped the kettle and hurried for the back door to the house. It was nearly full dark now, at least two hours later than my watch indicated, and that worried me greatly, since it could not have been that long since I first spotted the saucer, not nearly that long. I bumped my way through the door and into the darkness of the house, fumbling for the light switch. For one second I had a terrible feeling that the lights would not work, but to my great relief, the room filled with welcome light, and I was on familiar ground. This reassurance only cast into high relief the oddness I'd felt in my own backyard. It was as if the door I had just come through now led back out to an entirely alien and frightening place. I looked at the mantel clock and felt a queer falling sensation in the pit of my stomach. It read seven o'clock. I hurried to the kitchen where the clock on the stove verified the one on the mantel. Something over two hours had passed in what seemed like fifteen minutes at the most. I opened a cabinet and seized a bottle of brandy. What I needed now was the opportunity to relax, lest my mind carry me off into total hysteria. The bottle's neck vibrated distressingly against the rim of the glass as I poured, and a bit of the liquor slopped over onto my hand. Ignoring it, I drained the glass, shuddered as the brandy burned a path down my throat, and poured another. I put the bottle down, found a chair, and fell into it, trying to suppress the tendency to hyperventilate. Presently the brandy took hold, and my nerves settled a bit. I replayed the event in my mind. No matter how many times I went over it, there just wasn't two hours worth of action. Fifteen, twenty minutes, tops. Then I froze recalling what I'd heard of people who'd claimed to have had UFO experiences, which resulted in unaccountable time loss. Was this what it was like? I sneered at myself. I'd never put any stock in what these people said. They were just publicity seekers, weren't they? But 
Hadn't several of them claimed to have been skeptics before their experiences? I was certainly a skeptic. But now, my mind was whirling, bouncing from one thought to the next, caroming off another and another, never staying long enough with one notion to think it through. Each new idea seemed to give rise to two or three others until I felt as if my head were literally spinning, spinning, rotating, as the saucer had, as the barbecue had. And all at once, I seemed to hear that B-movie sound effect again, growing louder and louder until I had to get away from it. I knocked over the chair as I leaped up and hurried across the room to the door, grabbing the knob to throw it wide open. Instinct told me this was somehow the wrong thing to do, but my body was galvanized into unstoppable motion. The door flew open, and I was through it in an instant, leaving it standing wide as I rushed out into the backyard. And before I had run five steps across the pitch-dark patio, I saw it. Not up in the sky, but on the ground. A slowly pulsing circle of purple light. Now, an odd thing happened. While I'd been in the house, the memory of the light, the saucer, the barbecue, everything, had clamped an unrelenting fist of terror around my heart. But as I lurched into the yard, and my eyes were drawn to that gentle pulse of eerie light, I felt a great calm flood into me and wash away the panic. I found myself moving steadily toward the source, the barbecue kettle, lying there on the lawn where I'd dropped it. It continued pulsing serenely, the light seeming to expand and contract, perhaps ten or twelve beats a minute. It was soothing. So soothing. I approached it slowly, more in reverence than in fear. There was no sound, nothing but my breathing, now tapering off from the panic and violent activity of a few moments before. The night air was cool, comfortable to my skin, and I felt suddenly wonderful, more alive and vibrant than I could ever remember. Reaching the kettle, I knelt before it and sat on the lawn, bathed in its pulsing glow, at peace with myself and eternity. It is difficult to describe what I experienced that night as I sat before the well of pulsing purple light, staring unbrokenly into its depths. I would say I was mesmerized, but that term is inadequate since, to me, it means something like sleep. I would say entranced, but that seems to indicate being without conscious will. And I was certainly conscious. In fact, I was more conscious than I'd ever been. I know of no words that will precisely describe the experience, because such an experience is, to my knowledge, without parallel. I can only relate that I spent the entire night in a kind of rapture, every molecule of my attention focused on that ethereal light source. But it was so much more than that. As the light entered my eyes, it seemed to penetrate directly into my brain and then to proceed down my spinal cord and out along all my nerves until it permeated every last neuron in my body, energizing my consciousness and awakening my spirit. There is no way to judge the time it took, but 
after an interval, I felt utterly saturated with the essence of purple, as if my nervous system were a container that had been filled to capacity with living, intelligent plasma. And at that moment of saturation, I sensed the completion of a preliminary step. Then there came into my mind a series of images, much more than images, really, for they carried ideas, implications, complete concept structures that conveyed profound meaning, yet did so by no other means than the evocation of the image itself. Each was an image like no other in my experience, seeming to surround me entirely, and at the same time, to be contained by me. And the flow of them. They seemed to burst through my mind like a billion bubbles all at once, and yet somehow sequentially. As you might see countless stars in the sky, if the sky were really your own mind, and every star was different, though all were the same and part of a greater whole, and that whole was your mind. This infinitely varied series of images seemed to go on endlessly, and yet seemed to happen all in an instant. My mind felt stretched, expanded, like a balloon, though not at all uncomfortably so. And I found that I could focus my attention on any image or all as I chose, and that by doing so, I could experience what I can only describe as time without duration. That is to say, upon selecting a particular image, I would be drawn into it, become it, and experience its entire meaning as well as its connection with any or all of the others. And though the meaning might be infinitely complex and the conveyance of it seemed to take a lifetime, there was no sense of time passing. Neither did time seem to stand still for there was really no sense of time at all or the lack of it. Such an experience transcending anything in my imagination would seem to be the ultimate in subjective absorption, but again, it was everything but subjective, for it encompassed what seemed to be the entire universe and all the time in it without beginning or end. After a time, the apparent paradoxes ceased to matter, and my evaluative processes were immobilized. There are not words, nor is there time enough in ten lifetimes or a thousand to relate even a fraction of my experience that night. So I must content myself with relating the one element fundamental to the entire process. It had to have been the saucer, naturally. And while you think that I had been the unwitting recipient of some sort of psychedelic alien television broadcast, the truth is quite simple. But I've decided not to tell you what it is after all, because some evening. Perhaps you'll step out onto your back patio for a breath of air, and before you see the next day's sunrise, we'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I do hope so. This has been the Cinemania Society Presents Encounter, copyright 1987, Patrick Ireland. 
The Cinemania Society is a product of the Cinemania Society, LLC.